I'm Chad, maskless, as you are, most of you. We wanted to say, though, uh, if you want to continue wearing a mask, that's okay. And I think it's an easy way for us to love each other. For those who are online still and you don't feel comfortable yet, that's also okay. Thanks for your grace as we figure this stuff out. Uh, for now, we've decided still to be masked up with kids men because the vaccine stuff is not settled there. There's still statewide things going on. And so uh, we figured this is not a fight that we should take on. Uh, not one that will give us a very good witness. And so we want to be loving and, and kind and just kind of walk this out, continue to trust the Lord with it. So we'll relax. We'll trust the Lord. Yes. All right. All right. Good. Um, I want to pray for us. Uh, let's do that. Lord, thanks again for uh, your love for us. Lord, thanks for an opportunity just to be together and to hear from you. We know that looks different for each of us. Uh, we just ask God that you would use your word the way you have used it through the centuries and that it would find its way to our heart. In Christ's name, amen. Did you know that Jesus loves figs? That's one of his favorite fruit. I'm not sure how he would feel about the fig Newton. <laughs> it's kind of dry. Um, but figs are one of his favorites. And the fact that he loves figs might just be the key for your heart today to grow. That Jesus loves figs. And whenever you hear fig or fig tree in the Bible, your ears need to perk up a little bit because it's a double meaning. It's more than just figs. He's actually talking about a group of people. He's trying to get something across to your heart. So that's the title for today's message, our Jesus story. And hopefully by the end, it will make perfect sense. Um, if you have a copy of God's word, turn to Luke 13. And while you're doing that, we're going to make it dark in here. Because that is helpful, right? When it's dark. Now, I wanted to begin with a visual because we usually don't do this kind of stuff. Um, Psalm 119 talks about God's word being a lamp. Doesn't say it lights up the whole world. All at once, it says it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And sometimes God shines his light in a certain place. And we say, well, Lord, I'm over here. I, I need you to kind of move it and, and get on my agenda. Can you move it, Lord? says, no, you move. So we step into the light and we start to listen and we start to see things. Now, do I see everything? Can I even see your faces? No. I don't know if you're mad at me or annoyed that I told you to turn your Bibles and then I turn the lights out. <laughs> but I can see what this area is lighting up. I see enough to actually take a step. And then God moves it again. And we have a choice. Do we, well, I was, I was, it was really uncomfortable for me to actually have to make that first step. I don't know if I want to do this next thing that you're wanting me to do. That's difficult. I'm not sure if I want to go there. But God says, come on, move one more time. Now, lights back on. Now, I just want you to, even if that's the only thing you get today, God will give you with his word, Enough to take a step. Just enough to take a step. And I think I've been hopefully communicating well that the Lord has been shining his light in my heart in certain areas. And it's risky to give you an inside look 
Why is it risky? Because I risk being misunderstood. I risk having people say things, and they have, where they want to encapsulate me into a quick, trite, caricatured summary, kind of the way we do online with people. Maybe if we don't have the guts to do it in a comment, we do it in our heads, like, oh, they're this. That's blah, blah, blah. That's fill in the blank. Why do I know this? Because I'm actually quite good at it. We're quite skilled in our sin. Did you know that? (laughs) We're good at it. We know how to do it. Yet as Jesus shines his light and we have the courage to step into the light, even if it's a small area, even if it's a place we haven't been before, we start to obey the great commission. We start to obey the great commandment. Uh, Things happen. Now, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I know I've had different responses, but let me say this. I've had a lot of responses, (laughs) actually more responses to what I said two weeks ago and to what God's been doing in my heart than anything ever in my whole life in ministry. (laughs) Wow. And 95% of them shocked me to my core because you know what they said? I'm in. Finally, I want to do this. I want to, and if you're like, what is he talking about? Started talking about the border, how God's moving my heart, how he's been moving in causing me to look at the injustice that's in our world, actually see that his gospel has answers for those things. And so as I started to share those things, man, people lit up and 5% or so didn't light up. They struggled and I get it. I get it. There was a struggle, not, not so enthusiastic. Tried to boil me down to a couple of sentences. Chad, you're just fill in the blank, period. End of sentence. That's okay. That's okay. It's not true. It's not true, but it's okay. I've learned and I'm willing to take some on the chin for Jesus. If we can keep moving, and I always, and I have with those who have struggled, I always welcome a conversation around God's word. Because his is the defining line that we can go to. And so some of you who haven't been as enthusiastic have actually taken me up on that and have said, I'll do it. Let's look at the word together. Let's consider God's heart for these things that I don't want to step into. They're hard for me. But when you do this, a couple of things will happen. There's joy. And I've even, I said to Sammy one night, we were talking about some of the things that God was doing. And I was like, isn't this fun and scary? (laughs) Both at the same time, there's joy and it's difficult. It's hard because he doesn't always light up everything, does he? He doesn't give us the whole picture. He just says, I just want you to take this step. It's a small area. Well, I'm not doing that because that means blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, you should. Today, we're going to listen in. We're going to watch Jesus focus the light for a group of people, just like he's doing for me. And I'm not saying he's doing it for you. I'm just saying here's, that's the only way I know how to lead. That's all I know how to do is to actually let the light shine in my heart and tell you what's happening, show you my brokenness, show you my weakness, show you my sin, my struggles, how God is changing me. You're going to watch people in today's passage, just nine verses. God's doing the same thing. He's like, hey, I know you want to talk about this, but look at this. And he shines the light. And he's like, do you want to step into it? Do you want to walk with the help of the Holy Spirit? 
he'll light up the next step for you. I'm confident in his ability. And I've made that deal with the Lord and being a pastor, I'm like, look, I'll tell them what you say. I'll tell them what you say and how it's affecting me. I will always tell the truth, the whole thing, Lord. You do what you do well. Change hearts, move hearts. Let us be a light to the world. And I wanna tell you that even though like two weeks ago, God was just saying, hey, just go to the border, just go take a look, just consider how you might help. Well, guess what? The Lord moved the light again. I'm gonna tell you what that is at the end of the sermon. Cause it, is, it keeps moving, honestly. It moved last night. Last night, at like 10 at night, it moved. Sammy texted me, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. We're just getting used to this light. <laughs> moved again. So first few verses, I'm going to tell you today's story gets bloody right away. So if you want to cover your kids' ears, do it. Luke 13, verse 1. Here we go. There were some present. So they've been walking around with Jesus. They've been listening to him. They've been considering everything he says. They love what he's doing. He's miracles, food, raising the dead. This is awesome. And they said, you ask him. No, you ask him. I'm not talking about that. That's awful. You ask him. So some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their own sacrifices. So bring it to the 21st century, church shooting. Okay? Pilate walked into the middle of a worship celebration, Passover, and said, I don't agree with this. And not only do I not agree with this, I'm gonna kill you and I'm gonna take your blood and mix it with your sacrifices and see ya, I'm out. That's, Difficult, Lord, to think about. And some wondered, does Jesus know about this? And actually, what, what will he do about this? Now, as these people are saying this awful story, have you ever been around people that say too many details about something around kids? Imagine there's other people listening to Jesus and their kids are standing there. And as the story is being told, their eyes are getting hoarse, widened, and they're taking their hands and they're putting them over their kids' ears. Like, don't listen to this part. You can see the eyes of their, their eyes widen, covering their children's ears. And they say, Jesus, is this whole thing PG? Is this story PG? We're kind of used to Lego if, if with our kids, like Lego battles, Lego deaths are okay. But real stuff, I don't really want to talk about that. That's hard. I have news, the Bible and life often take turns of things that we don't want to think about and we don't want to hear about. Not just PG-13, very R-rated stuff where we're like, I want to keep it clean, Lord. I want to keep it nice and simple, loving, easy. But it isn't because life isn't. So everybody's waiting. What's he going to say? How will he answer this question? Now that it's out there, I really would like to know you know, my parents told me where they were in high school. They were by their lockers in Knoxville, Tennessee, when they heard that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. I remember where I was in middle school when somebody told me that the space shuttle Challenger had exploded with a teacher, Krista McAuliffe, on board. You probably remember where you were when you heard that planes, at first everybody was like, oh, maybe it was like a little Cessna or something that hit the World Trade, maybe some mistake or something. You remember where you were? 
Remember you heard those things and others, you know, I know you weren't born yet, but you know it's shaped the last 20 or so years. Bad things happen. We wonder what we're supposed to do. And those things are things that are kind of, they're big and they're awful, but they're not necessarily personal. For some they are, but what about the personal things? What about when something happens to you, very traumatic, or you lose someone? I get the sense here that people, are, they like what Jesus is saying. They've been around him enough. And so then, you know what they're doing? They're bringing their most troubled thoughts to him. The things that are the most difficult, they're like, well, Lord, here's, if there's anything that would cause me to tap out and not follow you, this is it. So what do you got to say? Can you handle the big stuff? Can you give me a sufficient answer to why these things happen on God's watch, on your watch? You said you're God. Then I might just be more inclined to stay with you. If not, I don't know if I can follow a God who lets things like this happen. You ever heard that one? It's one of the first objections. What about pain? What about suffering? And so we have, and I've heard good apologetics arguments about how to think through pain and suffering, all this kind of stuff. And so you would think Jesus would be like, yeah, okay, I know this is hard. That was pretty bad, wasn't it? That was difficult. Let's, let's talk it through. Is that what he does? No. And if it's in your Bible, you've got a little heading, which just says, repent or die. Repent or perish is the heading to the next section. Let's read what he does. It's not what anybody expects. He answers them. Verse two, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or how about, and that was something that was Pilate did. It's a bad thing, murder, stuff happening. This was just a natural disaster. How about those 18 people on whom the tower in Siloam fell? Killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. But I tell you, unless you repent, you also will perish. You know, Jesus is getting closer to death. And when you know you're close to death, there's a level of sincerity and severity to how he begins to speak to people. In other words, he gets right to the heart of the matter there's a common belief back then that if bad things happen to you, you must be a bad person. And the greater the intensity of the bad thing, then you were a really, really bad person. So Jesus decides to just flip the whole thing on its head. And he says, you shouldn't be asking about them. You should be asking about you. You should ask yourselves the deeper question. How should we respond when bad things happen? What should we be saying? What should our go-to be? Were the people that this happened to any worse than anyone else? Jesus says, no, everyone is equally guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another verse says, God looked for one righteous person on the earth. Just one could not find one. So his answer to a very difficult question is repent or it might happen to you as well. Consider your own mortality, the brevity of life, and turn. What? Lord, come on. He says, you shouldn't wonder why it happened to them. You should wonder why it didn't happen to you. Hello. This is intense, Jesus. And somebody mentioned this in one of the commentaries. Jesus didn't say things 
that were just nice and sagey and wisdom, that doesn't get you killed. This is the kind of stuff that gets you killed. Jesus, I just brought my friend to meet you today. I've been telling him all this stuff you've been doing, how amazing you are, how loving you are, how you've healed these people, how you provided food for these people, that you're so compassionate, that you're so kind, and you hit him with this? Repent, that's the message. It's that whole thing too. You get your friend to come to church for the first time. And that day is like hellfire and brimstone. You're like, oh my word, where was Chad and the nice kind stuff that day? How should we respond to the trauma of this life? Jesus says, turn. Repent is a fancy word for turn. Turn from your life of sin, but turn to him. So he focuses the light. They say, we would like you to shed some light on this whole thing of why do bad things happen? And he says, well, let's shine the light here. You should think about your own heart. You should see that the second death, the Bible calls it the second death is worse than the first. A life condemned to eternal punishment is worse than what you might face in this life. And you're faced with a a choice here. C.S. Lewis said about Jesus and the things he said, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. C.S. Lewis decided he was the Lord. The light is focused, but it doesn't give you the whole picture, but it gives you the picture Jesus wants you to look at wants you to focus on. I want answers now though, Lord. He says, I'll give you what you need. I'll shine the light where it needs to shine. So I bet maybe the people were a little stunned at his response. Do you think? Yeah, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. That isn't a sufficient answer. But in the silence, he's great in doing this. He can stun you and you can be left. You're just shaking at what he just said. And so then he says, well, while you're thinking about this, let me tell you a story. And he redirects the light once more. Verse six, a man, and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree, here we go with the figs, planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So you start thinking about bad things happening. These people were thinking about that awful event with Pilate mixing the blood of the worshipers with their sacrifices. We think about bad things happening. We get afraid. We think about what might happen in our world. Depending on who you voted for this past election, you may have a lot of fears. They're bubbling up. And our instinct paralyzes us. us. It sets in and fearful actions take over. Close the doors. Stay home. Don't care about anyone. Get your soul taken care of. Cross your heart. Hope to die and hope you wake up one day in heaven. I may be as mean as a snake. I only like a few people. I'm scared of most, especially them. And I hate some, but I think God does too. But at least I'm saved. Gulp. Jesus says, actually, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that fear. And let's look at your life and the purpose that I have created it for, to bear fruit. 
Here's Jesus basically saying, look, I know this world is scary. I know it's dangerous. I know it's hard to live in. I know it's easy to be closed off from others, but have you ever tasted a perfectly ripe fig? It's just one of the best things I ever made. The apple was good. The orange, even better, unless it's a Honeycrisp. Wow, those are good. But a fig, especially if you have a little bit of artisan cheese, maybe a salty cracker, perfection. I really did a good job on that one. This is Jesus, the creator. Jesus, what are you talking about? We went from repent to figs. This is the beauty, the mastery of Jesus and his communication and the way he knew how to get to people's hearts. As he would hit them on one side with repent, he was picking them back up, talking about fruit on the other. So what's he saying? That's right, you live here. You live in this time, 2021, United States of America, Midwest, and as a verse that I mentioned two weeks ago, I'll say it again, Acts 17, 26 through 27, he made every nation from one man, Adam, to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, reach for him and find him. Don't tell your kids it's gonna be awful for them. You don't hear me very often telling you something very directly like that, but I'm telling you, don't say when things happen in the world, I don't even know what you're going to do. It's going to be awful. Things are slipping away. He has decided that they would be born now. He has allotted the time period and the boundaries within which they will live, which means it's going to be great. Doesn't mean it won't be difficult, but a purpose. You've been planted here for a purpose. This is what Jesus says, to reach for God, to find him. And then when you find him, to be his planting so that you can, what? Just look like a tree, bear fruit, bear fruit. Why are you here? Jesus has planted you here now with all of the challenges and issues out there in the world that are no different from anyone else in all of history, okay? Everybody has faced this kind of difficulty in a sinful and fallen world. Don't forget that. He's planted you here and now with a purpose to be his tree and to bear his fruit. So he comes seeking fruit on this tree. He's looking for it in my life. What does he find? This tree? Three years, over and over. He looks, he looks, he looks, no fruit. So why should your ears perk up when you hear fig and fig tree in the Bible? Israel is commonly represented by the fig tree. So when Jesus says, hey, a vineyard owner had planted a fig tree, then you think Isaiah 5, you start thinking about other passages where Jesus comes up to fig tree. You think of Nathaniel praying under the fig tree. Jews would pray under the fig tree for what? For the Messiah to come. Adam and Eve sowed what together to cover their shame and their sin? Fig leaves. Okay, it's this little theme going on. So Jesus says, yeah, it's Israel. I'm talking about you guys. And he asks a legitimate question. Why are you guys using up the ground? Why are you using up the ground? 
And while this directly represents Israel, it indirectly calls to us and brings us to a very uncomfortable but crucial place where we speak hard truth maybe about our own lives and we say this, I am just using up the ground. I'm using up the ground. Lord, I'm using up the ground. What am I doing? Are you? Using up the ground God has planted you in. It's not a bad thing to admit that, okay? In fact, that's how growth always works with Jesus. You start with nothing. You say, okay, I got nothing. Lord, I've got no fruit. What's the purpose of fruit? Does a tree eat its own fruit? Huh, I thought about this this week. Does a fruit tree grow fruit and then say, and eat the fruit on its own branches? Never, never has two purposes, to feed somebody else and to be planted so that a new tree can grow. I want you to bear fruit to be seed that causes new trees to grow, to feed others. And we're all different fruit trees, okay? We will bear fruit by the Spirit of God. It'll look and taste different. I've let you in on some of the things that God's been doing in my life. It's Chad-shaped fruit. It's directly related to some of the things that are going on in my life. There's also common spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, we should see those things in each other. We agree? And it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. You get it when you get the Spirit of God in your life. It should be coming. There are other tasty fruit though. Conviction of sin is a beautiful thing. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Humility is a, bit, a beautiful thing. Teachability is a beautiful thing. Dropping your pride like a hot pan is a beautiful thing. It's gorgeous. It tastes amazing. It's the kind of fruit that God does. And even among other believers, you should see this thing. You should see this kind of fruit. If you don't, I'm gonna tell you something. Don't trust your heart with them. Don't do it. If you don't see those kinds of things in someone else, don't trust your heart with them. Why is he looking for fruit? In case anybody thinks I've gone off the rails, let me say the gospel is an indicative thing. Meaning God has done something we could not do in the perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and eventual return of Jesus. He does it for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our job is to say yes or no. Okay, this vertical thing, that is the gospel. And yet, when Jesus comes looking for proof of the gospel in your life, you know what he looks for? Branches with fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Not if you can recite back the aspects of the core truths of the gospel, the tenets of that you, you know, convicted of your sin, God save you. He looks for fruit, which is why we've been talking about Deuteronomy 10, that God loves the resident alien in your midst, that he's feeding them and clothing them, that he wants you to love them. While we talk about Genesis 127, that all people are made in God's image. Nobody's off limits. Even if you think that person is the worst person, Jesus goes, okay, you think they're an enemy? Well, then I need you to love your enemies too. James 1:27. this is pure and undefiled religion that we care for widows and orphans. Matthew 25, here it is. 
end of the age, Jesus, people standing before him. And he says, did you do this? You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me in prison. When? When did we do that? When you did it to the least of these. He's looking for fruit and it's going to be specific to your context and your circumstances. What might that look like? What does U-shaped fruit look like for Chad over the last couple of months? It's revealed callousness in my heart based on fear of whatever might happen. A closed up heart. I told you that a couple of weeks ago. Unwilling to step into the light and no fruit or at least wrong kind. Not trusting the sovereignty of God as the events of human history unfold. For sure, putting my trust in horses and chariots, which is the Bible's way of saying you're trusting in people and the institutions of the world and not me. Jesus leans in, he moves the leaves around, he lifts a branch here and there in Chad's life and hopefully yours. And he says, mm -mm, this won't work. This won't work. Chad, I've saved you so that you can bring me glory. Share my love to a broken world for a purpose. Don't believe me? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He focuses that light. He just says, just step into it. That's all you gotta do. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, whom he could then zap to heaven immediately. Nope who are zealous for good works in this place that they're planted. Fruit, figs. He loves figs. You should really cut that tree down. Just get rid of it. It's just using up the ground. What will Jesus do? Verse eight, he answered him. And you need to hear Jesus speaking to the father. Trinity is a hard thing to think about. I get it, but that's what's happening here. Sir, give me one more year. Just one more year. I'm going to dig. I'm going to sling some manure. It's going to be stinky. If it should not bear fruit next year, well and good. If it does, actually, if, if it should bear fruit next year, that's great. If not, you can cut it down. God, the father, the owner of the vineyard of everything says, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Jesus, the one who has come for this very purpose to produce the fruit of righteousness in your life says to the father, it's nothing that a shovel and some manure can't fix. Just give me a little time. Our blueberry bushes in our yard are pathetic. I mow around them. I really shouldn't. I should just mow right over them. We planted three. I swear, like two of them have like this coming out of the ground. It's like the weeds grow up and over them. Like I keep moving the weeds. One of them's like maybe like four. And I literally want to get down and say, what do you need to grow? What's wrong with you? Jesus, the intercessor. This is intercession. This is another word for prayer. Steps before the father and says, give me some time. Let them alone for the time being. You know what you need, Chad? You need to have the ground of your heart broken up and we need to throw a little manure on it. The patience of God, give him some more time, Lord. How awesome is grace.
Jesus, the gardener, faithfully plunges the shovel into the hard ground of my heart, loosens the soil. Then he slings the stuff that makes the whole drive up to the city smell awful. It's just like a week or so ago. You're like, ooh, go, re-, you know that button in your car? It's like recycled air. It's like, shoot, I did it too late. And then you're like recycling the manure air. And you're like, ah. We need to sling some of that stuff onto Chad's heart because he knows what it will bring. Just give it time. Jesus is content to spend time with your heart. So can I tell you what the Lord was able to do just by poking around at the dry, hardened dirt of my heart? I'm not saying he's doing it in your heart. If he's not, that's okay. And you sometimes let me know he's not by your emails. That's okay. But can I show you what happens when he throws a little manure to begin to fertilize the soil and bring nutrients? Remember how at the beginning I told you he moved the light again? So started as an email. If you're new to this, three weeks or so ago, maybe four, an email from other free church pastors around the country that I'm a part of. And somebody said, hey, Texas guys, what's going on at the border? How can we help? And I remember I read it and I almost just went, clicked away. I'm not interested in that. That's too complicated. That's politically fraught with tripwires and ditches and angry people. No thanks. Poked a little bit more. What's this smell, Lord? (laughs) I finally listened, brought it to our team. There's wisdom and a multitude of counselors and they lit up and I was like, oh, well then maybe I should consider that. (laughs) That's how it works. That's how we, we sharpen each other. We sent a team down to the border. I wanted to see real faces. They wanted to see real faces. Um, some said that's fine, but I'm not going. I don't have to get involved there. While our team was down there ministering, my daughter shows me a picture on her phone. She goes, hey, dad, look at this beautiful Honduran baby. My friend and his family are babysitting just six houses down. I was like, what? We just sent a team down to Texas to go and find Honduran people. There were like 2,400 boys in the Coliseum in San Antonio, you know, Honduras, Guatemala. And you're telling me there's Honduran family in Winona? So I'm just putting these things, filing them away. Jesus is still poking. Our team comes back. Amazing stuff going on. I get an email from Cynthia Dozier, one of our members, who says, hey, by the way, I'm a part of this amazing group called GRASP, Great River Asylum Support Partners, who is helping a Honduran family in this city. And I was really excited to hear about what God was doing in your heart. We met, we talked, and then all of a sudden, the Lord moved the light. And they said, hey, there's another family There's a mom and two daughters seeking asylum in the United States of America, which is a legal process, by the way, for those who get all, it's a legal process. And they're living in a tent in Tijuana. They have everything they own in that tent. Would PV consider sponsoring them? Whoa, that's bigger than an email. So last Sunday, 
As the Lord was continuing to poke and throw manure on my heart, Sammy and I sat at the PV bar out there. You know, you know what I'm talking about, the white seats? Belly up to the PV bar sometime. <laughs> and Sammy had just finished his worship set. Pastor Daniel was preaching. And he said, what do you think? I was like, we don't have housing yet. We don't know how we can do this. And we both looked at each other and we were like, we're supposed to do this, aren't we? Okay, say yes. He literally, sitting at the PV bar, sent a message saying, yes, we're in. This is Iris. Iris is the way it's spelled. Briani and Naidi. And that's them. That's everything they've got in Tijuana. They passed what is called the first stage of seeking and establishing credible fear. It's a it's something, if you want to look it up, seeking asylum, something that anybody who comes in and says, I'm seeking asylum, they meet with an officer, a border patrol officer. They ask them questions to determine, is there a credible fear of returning home? Will they face, have they faced persecution? You can look it up. Uh, there's a lot of information there, stuff that I didn't know about. Um, Iris passed that interview, was granted a day to cross. Happened to be last Thursday. Happened to be the day I got my second shot. That night I had fever all night long. I shivered in bed and I was praying for Iris and Briani and Naidi. And I was like, Lord, get them across. They made it. They were in a hotel. We're like, sweet. We don't know how this is going to work. And then we got the light moved again last night. And through some crazy circumstance, they said, oh, by the way, they're coming tonight. Plane tickets are purchased. Sammy and his family are picking them up at MSP tonight at 9.50 and hosting them in their house for the first few weeks. But is it like we just had three babies? Yeah. Is there a lot to do? Yes. Will that make some of you uncomfortable? Sure. Is that your fruit? I don't know. Is it my fruit? You better believe it. Is it what God is asking us to do? I think so. Our board thinks so. Our staff thinks so. And many others are agreeing and have stepped forward. Oh, it's too complicated. Too many issues. I don't see those stipulations in scripture. I don't see fine print that says, do this unless. It's not there. The border's so far away. I'll let others deal with it. The Lord's like, well, you know what? I think I'll move the border all the way to Winona. Now, what are you going to do? So it's a choice. That may not be where you are. That's okay. I encourage you to continue to take steps into the light that he's revealing. But for some, if you sense that God is wanting to stretch you, to push you, to move you into something difficult, but ultimately full of fruit, the kind of fruit that has real people connected to it, Real people. And Sammy spoke with them. And oh, by the way, we have a pastor that speaks Spanish who's able to talk with them directly. And they're saying, we are so thankful to Jesus that you're taking care of us, that you're giving us a chance. If that's you, and many of you have already done this, I encourage you just to, that's it. Doesn't have to be all figured out. Doesn't mean you're choosing this political side or another. Just means you're being obedient to Matthew 25. 
That's all it means. If you want to help, there will be many ways. But for now, Iris, Briani, Naidi, and another older daughter who's in the foster care system in Arizona, whom they're hoping to reunite with, we would love your help. Go to our website. I've got it here, a little picture. Circled it for you, Matthew 25 Project. Uh, this is something that's kind of containing this, our seriousness of wanting to be obedient to Jesus in Matthew 25 and Isaiah 58 and Genesis 1:27 and Deuteronomy 10 and Deuteronomy 24 and James 1:27, And it goes on and on and on over 2000 verses that really speak to this thing. I don't know. Maybe we should listen to them. Maybe we should try. If you want to do that, click on that right now. Yes. Funds are huge. There will be longer term needs for housing medical expenses, legal help, direction. They will have an eventual hearing at an immigration court. Food, clothing, we want to bless them. We want to bless them. We want to shower them with the love of Jesus. We do not take lightly that God sent an email that I could have ignored and now has three people on the other end of it in our midst. Pretty cool. And some of you may be saying, no, it isn't. And that's okay. You be where you are. I'll invite the worship team up. Jesus loves figs. He's looking for fruit. Lord, we love you. We're thankful. Yes, Lord, am I nervous every time I step up here? Of course. It's life and death stuff. But it's so exciting to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, we will be faithful to your gospel we will speak the truth. And Lord, I love that in the same story, you are talking about people's eternal destiny and you're talking about finding fruit on their lives while they're planted here. That's you. That is the whole counsel of God right there. Christian life on display, this stated fact, this indicative of the gospel and what has happened on our behalf that we could not earn. And then Lord, this imperative that we love our neighbors we love our enemies and that we share with them the fruit that you're producing in our life. We can't separate it. We're moving our hearts. Uh, I just ask, Lord, that you be a faithful gardener, that you let your shovel find its mark, sling that manure, whatever you need to do, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing together?